Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We are here to talk about a 1-1 loss to Fulham in the League Cup, an impressive 2-0 win against Bournemouth, and some fairly chaotic transfer uh, dealings. Just to underline this for our listeners, we are recording this on Wednesday night in America. So when Spurs make a surprise bid for Mbappe, let's say, uh, you know, we'll talk about that next time. But that is why we're not talking about it tonight. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify and follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcasts. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that that's out of the way, let's get to it. Let's get to what I think is going to be a surprisingly positive podcast, at least in the Spurs landscape. Uh, I am joined, as always, by my two faithful co-hosts once again this week. Coming to us from the snowy peaks of South Florida. He has keys at his party, but it's not that kind of a key party. It's Brian Ashlock. Brian, have you started organizing a protest against the club yet? Um, so yes and no. Um, I think the, the important thing that I think that we should all be gathering together about is specifically, it's not ticket prices, it's not transfers, it's, um, the, the kits. Um, they're just too fucking ugly and, um, and I'm not gonna stand for it anymore. And so, you know, we're going to protest outside the stadium and then I'll set up a separate one in Eugene, Oregon, just like outside of Nike's offices. And I think that'll really get a lot of movement for us. I appreciate that. I think all Spurs fans would appreciate that. Coming to us from the revolutionary underground of East Atlanta, it's Ben Daniels. Ben, have you gotten any purple and gold put in your Spurs tattoo yet? No, I am the most positive person on the Spurs internet, and uh, I am, You might be right. For once, you might be right. I think everyone's acting like a bunch of melts. I think that is entirely true. And unlike our usual, uh, you know, procedure when we have a good weekend performance followed by an ugly cut performance, I want to at least keep the beginning of this podcast positive. So I want to talk about the Bournemouth game. Which, frankly, I don't think – I think people have underplayed what an impressive performance that was because I don't think Bournemouth are that bad this year. I know I'm a La Liga guy, and I watched a lot of uh, Rio last year, and I think Iriola is a good coach. And I thought Bournemouth actually were doing some interesting stuff, and we just sort of outplayed them. I thought the way we responded to their press was incredibly impressive um, considering how much dominance and attacking chances we had. But – Brian, I'll start with you. What did you think of the performance? Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, I think uh, a lot of us had questions about how this team would kind of handle uh, a more coherent uh, pressing opponent um, and, and certainly someone that was going to try to match us, you know, high up the pitch and and whether our defenders could handle that. Because um, I think for a lot of us, you know, some, our biggest question coming into the season was, 
you know, how was our defense and how was our goalkeeper going to cope with, um, you know, some of these better teams and United probably should have been a test for that, but it just really wasn't. And, and, and like you said, you know, Bournemouth, you know, despite having a new coach and a different system, they looked pretty impressive in the way that they were pressing. Um, you know, they didn't really take their foot off the gas kind of until the end of the game. And, and we looked pretty calm and composed. Um, and, and we were able to uh, play through the press, um, break the lines, and we got some really good chances. Um, and I, I think this is the first game of the season that we actually won on XG. Which is so, what really matters. I think we all know. Yeah, and not, I mean, not our lying eyes. That's really our trophy, honestly. You remember, you know, the fourth place is our trophy meme. Now the the XG victory is our trophy now. Um, but yeah, like I I thought I was very impressed with um basically all of the backline and Vicario in terms of how they handled Bournemouth pressure. Like Vicario received the ball multiple times with defenders bearing down on him and instead of just you know punting it upfield or blasting it out for a throw in he would take a touch and move the defenders so that he had a passing angle into Basuma or to Madison or to one of the center backs and we then we were able to progress the ball up the field like it was it was really kind of proof positive that we're buying into Angie's system and and that group of 11 guys is able to do it. I, I think that's interesting what you say about Vicario because, you know, I, I think he really only made one difficult save if, if memory serves during this match. But what's interesting about him is like, I, I don't think he's like when you see him pass, it's not like. You're not sort of back there going like, wow, that's like his range is so good or he's hitting guys with pinpoint accuracy. But what's interesting is he makes good decisions. Like you said, he, he opens up to receive. He creates passing lanes. He doesn't, at least so far, he hasn't made a pass that has really put the team under some pressure. It's it, it's it, it's not I, it's I think it's very good in terms of the way we build out and play out of the back. But it's interesting because I think it's. It's not, I think, when you talk about a good passing keeper, it's not exactly what you're used to thinking of there. It's just sort of he's making good decisions in a way that, you know, you kind of expect any decent midfielder to do. But I think it's a little rare to see, you know, a keeper sort of, you know, show for the ball like that or, you know, sort of move around and create lanes. But Ben. Yeah, I think, you know, he's not like a distribution guy like Ederson putting dimes on people, you know, 60 yards up the pitch but he's very comfortable with the ball at his feet. He doesn't look rattled to have to play with the ball on the ground. And that's a big, big difference from, you know, what we've gotten used to with Hugo over the last like decade um, is just someone who, you know, has the composure of an outfield player under pressure to say, okay, I am, I know what these things, the bottom of my legs are for, and it's not just kick saves. Um, and yeah, it's really re- reassuring. And he, I think he gives us so much, even even without being such a, a great distributor of the ball, he gives us so much just by being comfortable playing out of the back and allowing the team to have him as an option to play to and, you know, be able to reset and spread the pitch and, you know, move the ball where we want it. It's it's funny. You've, you've said, Ben, to me, like, oh, he's got this huge chaotic energy. And that's true. I think that's absolutely true. But at the same time, like, 
I mean, and I think we saw it in the Fulham match, what happened without him. Is I just feel incredibly comfortable with him, by and large. You know, the way he's back there distributing, how he's handling it, you know, the press or opposition teams. Like, it's it, it, it's it's kind of crazy how these two things are true all at the same time. Well, it was interesting, like, there, there's a moment in, in the first half where I think it's Vandeven plays the ball back to him. And he just kind of he's got the striker bearing down on him and he just kind of opens himself up, lets the ball run across him like he's going to play it uh, to Romero or or Poro and then just takes a slight little touch back. The forward overruns him trying to press and then he plays it right up the middle to Basuma, who's unmarked. And I was just like. You know, God, to have that composure when you're you're literally he was literally standing like in front of the goal. Like if he fucks that up, like they score an easy one. And he just like, nope, no problem. Just let it run. Boop back across and then play the easy pass. And and I think that's the thing is like this system isn't asking him to be Ederson. You know, they're not. It's not asking him to find guy, runners downfield. It's asking him to. Play the simple passes to the guys who are are the passers, who are the ball progressors. Get it to Basuma, get it to Van de Ven and or the fullbacks or whatever, and then let us you know move up the field in the way we want to move the ball. Um, he played a couple passes it up to Richarlison that were okay. He played a couple that were not, but like all in all, like you guys said, I think he's despite the chaotic energy like. Uh, that that comes like when we're on defense when we have the ball he is very much very calm but even on defense i don't like it doesn't like okay okay so occasionally he'll like charge a ball which i feel like is not like as the weeks have gone on that is happening less but you know he's not taking i think the insane risks we thought he was going to take like i feel very comfortable with him back there yeah Yeah, honestly wish he takes more risks you know, it's only been a few games. Like, there will probably come a time where he charges down something unsuccessfully or he takes that overconfident touch in front of his goal and the striker does pick his pocket. I'm like, we're going to get mad. But I think so far, at least, those risks have been positive trade-offs. And we'll see, you know, what the what the ledger looks like at the end of the season um, and how, how bad those tendencies uh, punished us and how much it was just a real swaggery goalkeeper. Uh, let's, as much as I love talking about defense and we'll get back there in a minute. Uh, I want to go to the other end of the pitch. Cause I thought the real highlight of this game was Madison. Who's just, I mean, he looks so good. I think this whole team, the way they've taken Ange's system is impressive, but Ange has him. He's doing so well in the system. I mean, he's really unlocking other teams. He's playing so well. And frankly, I feel like he's drilled some of his, bad tendencies out of him from Leicester. I mean, he's he looks so good. I mean, we we talked about this a little bit last week, but just like I can't think and I I remember thinking this during the game, like I can't think of the last player we signed that feels more like a Spurs player than he does. Like from a non-banter perspective at least. Like it's just like you could picture him in any era of the team. Like, you know, the 60s, 80s, you know, the 2010 name, name all the decades, Greg. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's just like, you know, you can, all the great Tottenham teams is like, he, he feels like a player that would fit into any of those teams. It's just really enjoyable to watch. I think you talk about his bad tendencies. One of the things 
and I don't mean to be digressing already, but one of the things that Madison has done well and does a lot is shoot from outside the box. We have a lot of guys with that tendency. Sar, Basuma are also have a real penchant for taking a pop. Um, and none Poro. of them are doing it. You know, Poro and Son are the only guys who are still taking a crack for distance. And honestly, Son can take a shot from wherever he wants. He's earned that goodwill. But um, it's interesting how quickly a guy who has scored so many goals from outside the box has agreed to subsume that instinct into making runs instead and, and building, you know, for a better chance. Um and yeah, I mean, like the run and, and finish for his goal was was fantastic. I mean, it's so good that you're. See, I mean, I feel like it happens a fair amount, but like sometimes you just see a play where it's like, how did a like it, he looks so free? It's like, how does a center back not track that? And obviously, the reason is he's making a good run and the center back's ball watching a little bit. But it's like it's such a perfect pass and run. It's almost like you know, it feels like he's cheating. Almost. It was so good. It was just. Incredible. And he has the, he sort of has the, the sense to, he doesn't need to put a lot on that ball and he needs to just divert it a little bit. He's God, he's such a pleasure to watch. He's so good. Yeah. And I mean, you know, he's developed such good partnerships with so many guys on the team already, like him and him and Udagi combine so well down that left side. Um, you know, his interplay with son has gotten better um, you know, him and Sar are, you know, they, their kind of movement has been great in the last couple of weeks. I mean, he's just really kind of right now kind of the him and Basuma are like the glue kind of holding this together. And and he, so much of the good stuff we do in attack comes through Madison. I mean, you know. Yeah, he got the goal, but like his set piece delivery is great, you know, most of the time. Like his uh he just he, he's he's the player that we've been missing since Erickson. Like, and it's just great that we finally have a midfielder that can see a pass every once in a while. Like it's 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 so nice to watch him play. And I I think I don't know how much this matters in terms of like him as a player in the locker room, but certainly Madison is, I can't, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I can't think of another player who actually seems to like talk about tactics in public as much as him. Like, and he's already been doing it at Spurs. Like he's talking about like, Oh, we want to be more press resistant or how we're going to deal with teams. Like, like you can hear him. Like it's just saying it. And I'm not saying other players don't talk or are aware of it, but I think having a player who might think about this stuff a little bit more than, your typical footballer is probably very good to have in the t- in any team, but certainly a team that is adjusting to a new attacking style under a new coach. So I think we're very lucky we have him. And I, I don't, I, I feel like getting very good 26 year olds might be the new market inefficiency because everyone's so fixated on buying 19 year olds that, you know, maybe we should go get more guys like James Madison because it seems to be working out really well. Yeah. I mean, the, the post hype sleeper is, has been a move. I mean, that's that was what Erickson was. But is he also. post-hype? Like, he was always good. Like, I don't feel like Madison had down. Like, he was on a bad team last year, but has he had a down I mean, year? I would say post-hype in the sense that, like, big teams have not been sniffing around him for years. Like, you know, like, Except even, <laughs> even Zaha at, at Palace was, like, always a transfer target for somebody. And, you know, he just couldn't get out of that contract at Palace to move. But, like, nobody seemed that interested in in Madison. He wasn't getting called up for England for mysterious reasons. Um, 
you know, he was just there on a mediocre Leicester team. And everybody just sort of forgot about it. It's like, oh, he's 26. He is what he is, whatever. But what he was was this good. And I'm really, really glad that we plugged him into this team. Um, because, yeah, I, I love his game. He's been a real pleasant surprise. I'll tell you what I've been really impressed with the last, like, match and a half is I think, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but we're using Son in a different way than we're accustomed to seeing him in terms of I think we're drawing him into the play more as opposed to sort of getting him isolated one-on-one or attacking guys from deep. And I think it's working out. I mean, he doesn't have a goal to his name yet. He's had a few good shots, nothing, like, great. But, you know, I think the way he's moving play around, whether he's playing through the middle or even on the left side, I think, you know, we're drawing him into the play more. And I think it's really paying off so far. Or at least I think you're seeing the start of something that makes a lot of sense and could really pay dividends down the line. Yeah, I think if you put aside the first game where we didn't quite have the right midfield out there. And like Brentford the, was also like playing 11 men in their own box. Sure. But yeah. But I, I think the, the, the United game and, and then this game against Bournemouth, I think we just as a team looked more coherent and, and that has helped Sun and Kulisevsky look better. Um, and I think, you know, having plugging in guys like Saar and Poro and and, you know, their levels of tactical awareness or, or you know, taking up the right spaces and positions has has allowed both those wide players to look better and more effective. Um, and, and I think I definitely agree that, you know, we've seen Sun uh, improve over the last, you know, game and a half. Um, I. I. <laughs> I still don't know that this is the right spot for him. Like I, I, I would like to see him play more through the middle just to see it. Um, There's but, other I'd like to see him in the middle, but yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we can talk about that, but I, I, I think, you know, I, I just want him more involved. Like it, it felt like that first game, he just didn't get a lot of touches. And when he did, he wasn't getting them in the sorts of spots that he needed to to be dangerous. And then since then, it's felt like, okay, now he's playing little one-twos with Udogi and Madison. Now, you know, he when Saar is at the top of the penalty area, he's making a run in behind the defenders, and Saar, we, I think Saar can play him through. Like, these are things that he is now uh, doing that are, are putting him in better positions. I think it's interesting because I I think what we're seeing out of Sun is him being used much more as a creator and facilitator than the guy getting on the end of, you know, fast breaks and scoring a boatload of goals. Um, you know, his right now, his expected goals are very, very low. He's not taking a ton of shots. He's not taking very many good shots. Um, but his expected assists are very high. He is doing a lot of work to get the ball to the shooters and the way we're set up right now, those shooters are Madison and Saar. You know, we're getting all of our shot production and goal production from those eights bombing into the box, um, which is a very weird way to set up a team in the first place. But it's especially weird when you have a guy like Sun who is a wide goal scorer first and foremost. Like that's been his game his whole career. Um, and like you said, I'm not sure if this is the best use for a guy like that. And I don't know what Ange is going to do to, to change that 
uh, whether that's move Sun through the middle or change what he wants out of that particular forward spot. But I think it has been very encouraging over the last couple of games to see him do that job well um, and be capable of playing, you know, with the game in front of him and pass and move and pass um, where, you know, last year, certainly we did not see him capable of receiving the ball on a half turn and doing anything with it. Um, So, yeah, I'm very excited about what Sun might give us this season. I just I couldn't. I couldn't begin to guess, you know, at the end of the year, like what, what he'll have given us. Well, I think it's, it's, I don't know. I think it's interesting that he is using Son in a different way that I think most of us would have thought, mm, that's not a good idea. That's not the best use of him. But I, I, I think it's been, I think the early returns have been promising. And, you know, if he's creating goals for other guys, then, you know, that's what matters. I mean, the, the point is being involved. Uh, ben, you mentioned you were impressed with Kulishevsky in this match. Yeah, I think Kulishevsky continues to thrive. And I think, you know, as soon as we brought in Saar in that first game, he kind of came to life. Um, And I think Poro has only added to that. I think one of the things you notice when you watch, you talk about Basuma and Madison being so integral to how we play and how we build up and how we move the ball. They're very, very focused on the left side of the pitch. If you see who they're passing to, if you watch where they're moving, they're mostly shifting left side of the pitch. They're combining with Udagi. They're combining with Sun. They're kind of heavily skewing their output over there. And so that leaves the right side of our, you know, attacking network a little underserved. Um, And I think especially, you know, those first, 70 minutes against Brentford, Kulishevsky was totally isolated on an island. Skip did nothing. Royale did nothing. Um, and since Saar and, and Poro have come into the team, the three of them have started building their own little interchanging network that's moving the ball and whatever. And it's allowed us to open up the pitch and be more dynamic and, you know, allow for us to switch the ball. And um, yeah, so I think, I think, I would like to see Basuma and Madison, who are not nominally like left-sided players, kind of look more towards that side and involve Kulishevsky a bit more. But I think even without that, they're kind of starting to pick their own way um, on that side of the pitch. And I think well, it I think helps I, yeah. when you have the emerging right back of a generation playing behind you, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. He's, you know. I mean, yes, Saar is an amazing right back. Um, no, we're talking about Pedro Poro, who I believe had some very handsome scouting reports recommending him to Spurs. Yeah, I mean, he's a central midfielder, basically, though. So, you know, um, no, I I agree. I think the one thing that I've kind of been surprised about is is that we are not seeing more um, like switches of play. Like, you know, the idea, obviously, is to keep these wingers wide so that you're, you're making the defense defend the the whole width of the pitch. And then you're using the eights and the inverted fullbacks to run into the gaps that they create. So I, to me, I would think that we would be playing more balls, you know, uh, from one winger into the, into the, the eight or the fullback, and then seeing a big switch to the other side to then now, okay, well, the defense was shifted over. Now they got to go all the way back across and like, how do they get reset? And 
you know, maybe that's just not what Angus system is, or maybe that's, you know, we're just not at that level yet or, or whatever the case may be. But I think that's pr- to me, that would be the thing that I would want to see us incorporate more because I think that's how you get both Sun and Kulisevsky more involved. Like if, if Madison starts hitting a big switch out to Kulisevsky and then Kulisevsky cuts inside and he can do kind of, you know, what he did in this Bournemouth match or, you know, he can, you know, Kane or I'm sorry, Sun or Richarlison like gets a run in behind and Kulisevsky can find them with a cross like that, I think, is kind of the next step for this. Yeah, isolating them like on the weak side and like letting them have the space to operate in, I think, is definitely going to kind of bring them to life. And I think you see when they are most involved are kind of on those rare occasions when we do that. That's where they're most dangerous is when we get a quick move out to their wing and the defense isn't set for it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's probably some limitations and, you know, Basuma is not the. You know, say what you will about Hoybeard, but like he can pass the ball at range, and Basuma is not that guy, and that's where a lot of our play funnels through. And you know, Poro and Udagi don't seem to have that kind of cross field pass in their locker, and so you know, I think it's going to be a a learning experience of like how how we're going to find those switches and where they're going to come from and and when, because right now they kind of come as we move down the pitch, they kind of roll across the top of the box and we kind of slowly get it over there to the other side. Um, and yeah, I think that needs to happen faster. How how are you feeling about Pedro Porro actually playing right back and not as a wing back? Yeah, I I love it and I think it's a miracle. I mean, I think you know the book on Porro was very open and shut. You know, he's great in the final third. Everything in between, he's not giving you a lot of ball progression. In his own half, he's a middling defender with, you know, dangerous instincts in possession who is prone to a bad giveaway. And, you know, he had some early rough going against Man U, and I thought he put that behind him as the game wore on. And in this game, he was pretty much, I don't want to say immaculate, but, like, those tendencies were not really in evidence. He was not a possession sieve. He was not a liability on in one v one defending. He was very capable at doing those things that you know he's been knocked for uh, rightly. Um, and I think maybe he didn't give us the most offensive output that we've seen from him. But like so far, I think let's if he's gonna like learn these tools, like let's. I think he's giving I'm you happy enough. for him to like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, totally. I think he's giving you enough offensive output. I mean, he's creating some really good opportunities for Kulczewski right. and Saul. I'm happy to dial that back like 20% if it means his defense is like 80% better. I think it's – you look at a guy like Poro, and I understand why we talk – I mean, like you said, Ben, these, a lot of his criticism is justified. But, you know, I think between the way a lot of modern management is, and particularly the managers we've had at Spurs, I think – I don't know. There's just a sense of like a guy is unless he's 17, he is what he is and he's not going to get any better. And, you know, maybe maybe we're seeing a three game blip here, but I'm just really impressed with poor. I'm really impressed with Ange that he's sort of taken a guy who is not tailor made for what he wants to do and found a way to sort of emphasize his positives and hide his negatives and get him to work on the things that he wasn't as good at. Long may it continue. Yeah, I mean, I've really been impressed by his defensive work. Um, you know, like just the positioning, 
and getting back into the positions that he needs to be. Because, you know, I think last year as a wingback, he got caught up field a lot. And, you know, maybe that's a little bit the point of a wingback. And, you know, you're you're hopeful that Hoiberg, whoever's playing on the right side of midfield, kind of drops in and covers that space. But, uh, you know, in the in the two games he's played, you know, I, I don't feel like he's been overrun. And I feel like when he's been called on to defend, he's done pretty well. So, I, I you know, I think. Like you guys said, you know, this is this is a great development. And, you know, I'm amazed that Ange was able to do it because uh, it, it, it's amazing. It's not over yet, but just, yeah, the initial returns are very exciting. And, you know, I, I think part of it is it's easy to forget. Like, I mean, this guy has the physical tools to do it. Like, I mean, if like the problem isn't him like tracking back to like keep up with an attacker the problem is timing your runs and timing your tackles and you know like having awareness on the ball and it's just you know it's working really well so far and i'm really pleased to see it because i think i I, weirdly i think a lot of spurs fans who were down on him were very dismissive of what he offers going forward and like you said ben even if you dial that back a bit to up the defense it's still like ridiculous especially compared to emerson um, you know, I mean, he just offers you so much going forward, even if he's tamping it down. So it's, I'm glad to see it. Yeah. I think it's a real impressive and success story. I think a few weeks ago we were all prepared, not just prepared, but like felt pretty good about Emerson being the inverted fullback in this system. And, you know, Pora wasn't suited to that. Emerson started the first game. He did pretty well, um, you know, at that inversion aspect of the role and we were like okay this is the team and within a week i think if you asked any spurs fan if they ever wanted to see emerson royale over poro again they would all probably say no um and that's that's quite a week and like with the caveat of again small sample size but still like i mean you would talk in preseason even amongst spurs fans who weren't inclined to bedwetting which is not many of us these days but um, you know, it's like, oh, you're going to put Udogi and Poro out there at the same time. And they're like, yeah, that's like shooting heroin and riding a motorcycle without a helmet all at the same time. It's like, you know, it was like this crazy suicidal act of like complete irresponsibility. And now you're looking at it and like you play a team like United, which whatever else they have going on, they've got some good attackers and a team like Bournemouth, which I thought had a reasonably coherent and dangerous press. And, you know, they look perfectly fine against both of those teams right and i mean i know we kind of only just give like a token gesture to doggy every week we're like by the way isn't he special <laughs> and we move on because he hasn't scored a goal or done whatever um but like the idea that we were ever concerned that like he was too much of a wing back to play defense at all is just like increasingly laughable every time we see him he's so well-rounded he is so dynamic he's great he's so good at everything I feel like we were sold a real. I, I feel like I was sold a bill of goods on him. It wasn't true. Maybe he just. Oh, sold a bill of goods. You love that one. <laughs> I do. I do love selling a bill of goods. But I feel like we were promised that we were told we were getting something with him that is not even close to the case. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, it was something like, oh, it's Pedro Poro. But if you just shot adrenaline into the back of him, like, you know, it's like, no, he's a very capable, like, left back who likes to get forward. He's more traditional than Poro is. Like, I mean, he's again small sample size, but I'm, I'm not really worried about him going forward or getting back. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like we haven't really spent a lot of time talking about how good he is just because, like Ben said, like, it's like, oh, yeah, everything he did was well, great. Well, think about a good defender. It's like, yeah. oh, they're, they're not showing up in the score sheet. Like, you don't hear the announcer talking about him? Great. They're having a great day at the office. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not even just that. I mean, like, the his his attacking play has been really good. Like, I, I already touched on, you know, the, the interplay that he has already has with Madison and Son is, is good. And, like, you know, he progresses the ball really well up the field. Like, he's very calm on things. And I... I don't know. I just he's he, he's just a lot better than I expected for the age he's at. And and the other thing is, you know, coming from another league and I know, you know, Serie A is still like a very physical and demanding league. But like he just has been ready for the physicality and the pace of play in the Premier League in the way that some guys that we have signed from, uh, you know, Italy or Spain or France in the past have not been. And and I mean, I think that's one because he is an absolute physical specimen. Uh, And and two, I think it's just like his quality. Um, And so I've just been uh, like, I'm over the moon about it. Yeah, I feel like I, I watched, you know, I, I did not watch any of his games, but I watched a lot of his highlights and a lot of like single match highlights or whatever. And the thing that stood out about him was his physicality. And I was kind of suspect like, okay, is he just able to kind of pace and power his way over like small gesticulating Italian men? And like, is that, <laughs> that's not like a real skill that's going to translate to like an actual physical league. I mean, it'll be and, good for when we play Newcastle. <laughs> yeah, look out, Tanala. You're fucking done for. Um, but yeah, no, he's obviously, you know, physically capable for this league. And more than that, he is technically and positionally and whatever else capable. More than capable. And I, I've been surprised that the announcers have managed to restrain themselves from, you know, making too many pace and power comments about him. And like, and like you said, you know, that want to avoid that like generalization, but that has been something that's very good. But I've just been most impressed by his technical ability. Like he's doing this inverted wingback thing. And we were told, no, he's a wingback, likes to get down. He, you know, he goes down the line and then he cuts in at the box and, and tries to get a shot away. Well, no, he's playing in midfield and his close control is very good and his dribbling is good. And, you know, he plays little one twos and like he's just a good footballer. Well, there's two highlights that really come to mind, because I think, you know, what we watched and maybe were told when he was at Unese, it was like, oh, I expect to see him burning down the wing like, you know, Danny Rose or Kyle Walker used to. But like at least from an offensive perspective, the two highlights that really come to mind for me are that I think it was against United where he just dribbled through half their midfield at one point. And his assist for the goal against, uh, for Kulishevsky's goal against uh, Bournemouth where, you know, like there's a lot of like speed and, you know, pace and power on that play. But really what that, that whole play is him doing a one, two with son and getting to the byline and putting a cross in. And it's like, I mean, they're both very technically impressive highlights and, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was like he played differently in Unese or it's just, you know, racist people assuming he does certain things. But he's been he's been great. And at no point does he look like, oh, this guy needs seasoning. Like, he looks, re- like you said, he looks ready for the Premier League in a way that I think 
even some very good players coming out of leagues like Serie A don't. And I think Kyle Walker is like a good kind of comp for him, except I like I, I he, he's a better like ball player than than Walker is. Like I know I know Walker plays for Pep and everything, but like he's not that's not his thing. That's not why he's there. And like even last season, Pep was kind of moving away from him playing as a right back because he wanted someone there that could step into midfield and do inverted wingbacky things. And, and, and do doggy is, you know, have, he's done it for three games and he's already amazing at it. And the thing about Kyle Walker as a comparison is like, he has definitely grown into becoming that player. Kyle Walker at 20 was, so raw and so I don't say disastrous, but like he was not a, a comfortable presence. He was just say one like, dimensional quick. Yeah. yeah he's better than yeah. Alan Hutton. So he got to play, you know, and he became a very composed defender, a very like smart player, a good positional player. But like that was not 20 year old Kyle Walker. And it seems to be 20 year old Udagi. And that's fun. Yeah. It's great. So I, um, coming out of Bournemouth, coming out of United, frankly, coming out of Brentford, I'm very positive on this team. I think the degree to which Ange has translated his style of play this quickly uh, is incredibly impressive and I think speaks well of the players and the manager. Um, Then we had this result against Fulham. We'll talk about the performance. I think... I said this on Twitter, but, like, I think all Spurs fans have, like, everything has gone so poorly for so long for us that a lot of Spurs fans have, like, don't understand that there is a space between this kind of sucks and holy shit, we're in the middle of, like, a crisis. And it's, like, like, I get it. We're not in Europe this year. We should take a run at the domestic cups. We'll get into the rotation in a minute. I think there are problems with that. But, like, at the end of the day, Spurs had a bad day at the office. It wasn't, like... Jesus, in this calendar year, it's not in the top 10 of our most embarrassing performances, let alone the last couple seasons. But it wasn't good. I understand having some frustration with it, but I don't understand the level of bedwetting that we're seeing over this. I mean, I think first and foremost, the people of England don't understand the concept of a rebuilding year. Um, <laughs> like the expectation, my expectation going into the season was we are going to turn over the old guard, bring in some fresh blood, bring in a new manager with a long leash to sort of take the season to impose his style. And, you know, maybe this year wasn't going to be great, but we're going to start building the foundation for like the next great Spurs team. And I don't know if it's because like the first three games have gone as well as they were and we're all like laughing you know, patting each other on the back about being top of the table on Saturday. That like we've forgotten that like this is a process, but it is a process. And all of the things you want to see in that process so far have been very, very promising. And, you know, I think it sucks to lose in the first round of the FA Cup, like or the League, League Cup. Cup. Yeah, Like, that's embarrassing, it's shitty, you know, it was naive, it was all these things. But, like, at the end of the day, if your goal for this season is, like, we have to win a trophy or it's fucking shit, like, I don't think you're really invested in, like, what we're doing this season, you know? Like, I mean, the first Pochettino season, we did not win a cup, we finished sixth, and 
then we kicked on from there to become one of the best teams in England over the next three or four years. And frankly, didn't look that good. Didn't look that great that year. Like, I mean, not a lot. I feel like in Pochino's first year, really, I don't think you could have predicted we would become what we became just just watching that first season. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, there's transfer frustration. There's a lot of frustration. But, like, the things that we have done so far well, we have done really well. And the things that Ange has done with this team so far have been both really good and taken root really quickly in a way that I don't think any of us were expecting. Um, And, you know, so am I mad about going out of the cup? Am I disappointed to lose to Fulham? Am I kind of bummed to see some of these B team guys be as shitty as they were? Like, yeah, all of those things are true, but like the, the place we are as a club today and the place we were as a club three days ago are exactly the same. And that place is a very positive place. And I, 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 I guess, Brian, I'm curious what you think of this. Like, I, I, I definitely thought, you know, our A team or our first 11 has like taken on his, you know, like what Ange wants to do so quickly. I just sort of assume there would be a degree of that that would translate to sort of a backup squad, but, Clearly not, and you're sort of seeing why, you know, we've you know we turned all over. I, I think Spurs fans, frankly, and maybe just because we'll get to some of the transfer nonsense in a little bit, but because of that, I think Spurs fans are, frankly, underrating what we've done so far this window, but there's still work to do, and I think this game showed it. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's frustrating because, you know, you have the quotes in the build-up to the match where and just saying, you know, uh, you know, I I, I want to win everything. I want to win every time we go out there. And so, you know, every the fans all take that to heart and go, oh, we're gonna take this seriously. We're gonna we're gonna put the same eleven out there. We're just gonna go out there and try to crush them. And then, you know, the lineups come out and you're like, oh no, this is just what we do every year. And so, so I understand like being like I don't not not I understand being disappointed because what happened didn't match like us as fans expectations but i think like ben said you have to take into consideration like the context of everything like what what was a reasonable expectation for it this year was was our expectation like you know to win a league cup or an fa cup or was our expectation that we just kind of like consolidate and get our shit together and i think the latter is a more reasonable expectation and you know when you consider the shortened preseason and um you know kind of uncertainty with the squad like rolling out the b team makes sense like we gotta know are these guys like celso there's a market for him uh, you know, he played good in the match against Bournemouth, but like, is he is he a guy that's going to contribute meaningfully to this team? You know, same thing with, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, Davies, same thing with, um, you know, Forrester or Skip or whatever. Like we, these are guys we're looking at and like eventually you're going to have to make decisions on those guys and. You know, we're going to have to decide, like, if we need them as substitutes at a certain point in a match, like, can they do things for us? And so, look, it losing on penalties to another Premier League team, I don't think is that bad. I'd rather we have done this than, like, lose to a League One team. Like, that's this result is much more preferable to that 
but I mean, overall, like, what do we all care about? We care about having a good league season, right? I mean, I think, Greg, you're on mute. So do you want to talk? Go ahead. No, I mean, I think we care about having a good league season. And I think, you know, there are cannier ways to go about managing the cups and the league season. And, you know, I think we have a squad that, like, I remember we were talking about this not too long ago. Like, man, I wish we had Europe just so we could get minutes for some of these guys and see what they could do, like Los Celso specifically, you know, and and Solomon and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know who else I'm excited about. Maybe that's it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it would be nice to have more matches to sort of, you know, rotate around and see what we've got and, and test things. And we've lost that opportunity, even, even beyond the opportunity to win a trophy. Um, and I think, you know, we rotate two guys out last weekend. We rotate four or five guys in for the cup match. And then we rotate a few more guys out next week. Like, we can probably manage all three of these games. And I think a savvier manager, a manager who knows his squad better, can probably make those calls. But I think the thing that I am not mad about with the wholesale changes that we've, you know, seen um, – you know, even though, like, yes, I've seen a lot of people say, like, well, when you make nine changes, everyone's playing with scrubs, so nobody has the opportunity to shine because they're all playing with the B team and the B team's bad. But I think I like that Ange, or Ange, sorry, does not, Danny Ange does not see these guys as, like, B team scrubs who can't hold their own against Fulham. Like, these are guys that he sees as contributors guys who he has coached and you know he we've seen what he has done to turn Pedro Poro into a complete defender we've seen the way he's redefined Udagi's role from what we you know were led to believe he was capable of we've seen him bring Basuma back to life we've seen him give Sara newly some life like we've seen him change guys from what our our expectations were and so for him to look at these guys and say I believe that they're capable of something. I'm I, I'm not mad about that. You know, we two of these guys started the first week. Uh, we you know, Charleston and Vandeven are starters. Skip and Royale we expected to be starters going into this season. Um, we've been complaining about the wingers not being the right fit. You know, so seeing Solomon and Perisic is like not a crazy ask. Ben Davis seems purpose-built to be an inverted fullback. And Davison Sanchez came on um, for Romero in the first game and acquitted himself very well. You know, I think, yes, when you assemble this whole unit together, it's missing some pieces. But I think being able to see what exactly is missing when you get these guys together is just as important uh, as anything else. You know, and I think right now the key undroppable guys is that sort of left-sided unit we talked about, the Basuma, Madison, Udagi. Like, those guys are kind of irreplaceable. But, and maybe if we just plug those three guys into this team full of bench warmers, we would have won this game comfortably. So, but, I, I got uh, a hot take. I think the most irreplaceable guy is Vicario. Um, I thought a big problem in this match, and I don't, I'm not talking about shot-stopping or anything else, but I thought a big problem in this match was our distribution out of the back. I thought... We weren't moving it like we were trying to play out of the back and it just wasn't moving quickly enough or getting set enough. And I thought especially early on, that was a huge problem. And 
you know, if we had a better ball playing keeper, I'm not sure. Like for all the other issues that we had with turning over nine guys and like like you said, maybe we're missing some key dudes. I feel like if we were just if had a guy who could start play more, it might have made a huge difference. Maybe I'm just really down on Forrester, but like Yeah, we should have taken Raya on loan when that opportunity became available late in the window. Like I don't yeah, know why we let Arsenal do that. Well, because now they're wasting all that money, but um It's just a loan. That's yeah, just the loan. That's I think they're on the hook for it next year, but I mean, we need to go find some young English guy who could just kick the ball and pass it. I know finding a backup keeper is easier said than done, but you know, where's Carlo Cuccini? Maybe he can do it. But I mean, Joe Hart literally still exists, and and you know, uh, not that he's good with the ball at his feet, but Ange literally just used him to win the treble at, at Celtic last season. I did so. not like Joe Hart, but he can at least fall over faster than Frazier. Although he only can dive in one direction, though. So. Still. I think one problem with this is the degree to which we made the changes. And I think you're right, Ben. I think a lot of these guys, like, we should expect a little bit more out of. But, you know, does it do La Celso any favors? And I'm just picking him because I think you could say this about a lot of these guys. Like, if you take so many key elements out of the team for a bunch of guys who, yeah, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're playing and training. But, you know, like, they're not getting in-game experience, and they're probably not getting as much in-training experience as the first team. And I think, you know, like, I'm going to say, I want to see Lo Celso playing with, I don't know, he seems to want to use him in the Madison role. I would, I would, if I was putting him in the first team, I would sort of put him where we're putting Sar and Skip, but that's another matter. But my point is, I want to see guys like Lo Celso getting minutes with the, you know, quote-unquote first 11. Like, and I think that would be more instructive you know, if we're not, if we're not, like, just taking everybody from the first 11 now. And I, I'd just be curious to see what some of these guys do alongside some people who have not only, you know, are a better quality of player in most instances, but, you know, are sort of more drilled or more accustomed to Ange's system, or it seems to be that way. So I, I don't think, you know, it's doing any of these guys a ton of favors. And I think that's been a problem with us for a while. I think Arsene Menger was able to play his youth squad in the league cup for a bunch, for a bunch of rounds for a bunch of years because no one took it seriously. And it just sort of like poisoned everyone's brains about what to do with a secondary competition. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing of it is, is um, I, I actually am not really all that interested in seeing LaCelso again or any of these midfielders actually. Um, I thought that was the worst part of this. Like you talked about, yeah, you were complaining like, about that a lot during the match. Yeah, it was because I was just watching all three of these guys who are, um, you know, international footballers. Like Skip just won the the under twenty one Euro or whatever with England. Like Lacelso <laughs> plays play. for Argentina. <laughs> like uh, Hoybier always plays for Denmark. Like these are guys that are not unaccomplished footballers, but they just were not moving for the ball. Like it was, it was wild. Forster would have the ball and then skip and LaCelso would be running away from him. And Hoybeard would be just like hiding in the shadow of a defender. Like, it's just like, it was, it was unbelievable. And I was just like, this isn't about Ange ball versus Conte ball. This is just like, not understanding how to move in the midfield. I was blown away by how bad it was. It's got to be weird. 
I mean, I think it's weird because like all of three of those midfielders came on against Burnmouth and acquitted themselves fairly well. Like Horbjerg has played minutes, you know, for this team and looked good doing it as as our six. You know, the fact well, that think- he seemed so ill-equipped to play this style of, of football was kind of surprising to me. Like I, I understand he's not like you know, as physical as a capable dribbler as Basuma is, but like he seemed to at least understand what the role required until he was given the opportunity to play. Um, and I think I'm more than I'm mad at, at Ange for like taking a shot on these guys is like, I'm so disappointed in how these guys who were given an opportunity to like show what they can do showed so little. We like a lot of Spurs fans. Like it is, like, I feel like every Spurs fan on Twitter is contractually obligated to tweet about why haven't we moved out some of these guys. And, you know, like you said, Ben, sometimes you watch these matches and you're like, I don't know, like you look someone like Ndombele or like Hoiberg, you're like, they want to go to these big clubs. And they, I mean, I'm probably Hoiberg's a little bit unfair to throw in here because he was good against Bournemouth and really settled the game down at a time where it needed to be. But like, you know, they have these just, like, inflated opinions of where they should be, and they just don't seize opportunities. They don't, you know, perform at the level they're supposed to. And it's really irritating to watch. Like, I've been, you know, I mean, I loved Lo Celso when he played at Batiste, and, you know, I thought there's a lot there for years. But it's at, at a certain point, I mean, it's not as bad as in Dombele, but it just gets to the point where, like, man, like, I understand that, like, to a degree, you we're not doing you any favors, but, like, like sooner or later, he's got to ball out, dude. Like you need you need to show us why we paid all that money for you. And it's a little irritating that you know he's not. So and I'm I'm just picking on him, and I probably shouldn't. But like you know, like you need to grab this game by the scuff of the neck and make something happen. And you know they're just sort of wand. Everyone's wandering around. It feels like waiting for someone else to do something. Yeah, I mean, it was an incredibly listless performance from everybody. Nobody acquitted themselves particularly well, and a lot of people acquitted themselves, like, very badly. And even so, we almost got away with it. (laughs) I I think that's worth pointing out, because, like, you would have thought by looking at Spurs Twitter that we got, like, you know, smoked 5-0 or something, and it was like, I mean, Fulham were probably better than us, but it wasn't like, you know, they weren't good. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I, I mean, I also kind of have questions about why Davinson Sanchez is taking a penalty. Yes, that is. If I have a problem with that game, it's sort of like, I don't, not that he's taking a penalty. Why is he like number four? Like, he should not be in your top five. Like, he was number three. Three. Sorry. Uh, that's even like, worse. So like, everyone else is a coward who hides from pressure. And Davinson Sanchez is a brave. Yeah, player. I don't care if the play. I don't if that I don't know if that's Ange or the team captain or whoever. But like somebody needs to be like. Davinson, you're number six. Like, you know, like, let's get some. I I appreciate your enthusiasm, sir, but like, no. I mean, that said, like, look, it wasn't like that bad of a penalty. Like, he he didn't miss by much. It was slow. It didn't matter. Like, we could have taken a hundred great penalties, and Fraser Forster was not going to save anything. Like, that was the single worst goalkeeper penalty shootout performance I've ever seen in my entire life. It was, it was nothing like he was never, ever, ever going to save a single shot. So it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. 
again, I think this is I think it is perfectly reasonable to be disappointed with this performance, to be disappointed that we're out of a cup in a year where, you know, we could in theory throw a lot behind getting a domestic cup, but like again, this is a bummer. It's not a disaster. And I think Spurs fans need to sort of recalibrate their expectations. I mean, I guess we spent so many years just being like everything going wrong or just not going well, except for like six months under Conte that it's like understandable, but like, I don't know. Y'all need to put your big boy pants on. You need to like grow up and just like, I don't know, show a bit of maturity. Like this isn't that bad. No, you can't make us leave you out. I mean, look, like you and I know that Oliver Skip is terrible. Davinson Sanchez is one of the worst signings we've ever made, who's somehow miraculously still here after six years. Is Because he signed a 50 million year contract and it's never going to happen. Emerson Royale is also terrible. You know, we know those guys suck. We know especially they suck as a trio having to like build among the three of them. Like they just offer nothing with the ball. Um, We know that that's bad. We've seen that for so long. And maybe needed to learn that lesson the hard way. You know, maybe he needed to see it up close and personal to say, oh, okay, yeah, this guy does not have the goods. You know, Skip has zero juice. Some, some, Sometimes you just, you know, some motherfuckers just love ice skating uphill. So. Right. That's um, a new one. I don't. I didn't like that one. The, you can put that one back in. Oh, you don't uh, like Blade? You're, you're a little, no. You don't no, like don't. Blade? No, I, mean, I don't like look, Blade. Wesley Snipes delivers it way cooler. He He's does. Like, I'm not going to argue that. I'm not even going to argue that. I skate uphill. That sounds cool. Yeah, like, you're no Wesley Snipes. There's no Wesley Snipes. I'm not. I'm all of taxes. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's why I'm less cool than Wesley, um, amongst other reasons. Um, I want to talk about our transfer nonsense. Um, Wait. Can we talk about Richarlison real quick? Yeah, yeah. let's talk about Richarlison. He's an important figure as we move into the transfer nonsense. <laughs> I feel like Richarlison... I, I'm of two minds about Richarlson because he's he been scored. Bad. Yeah, he scored. He scored. And I think he showed what he offers you because he'll like if nothing else, Richarlson is going to get in there and do the dirty work and put a header in. He has not been good. And I think part of the problem with Richarlson, I don't know what to do about it, is that guy is pressing so hard. Part of it is and I think even like the most negative Spurs fans. So, Ben, I'm talking about you. I think you're the most negative Spurs fans are perfectly willing to write off last year. And just be like, you know what? Conte is a terrorist. The Parmesan Pulis is gone. We don't have to talk about it anymore. I don't know about you guys. I'm not willing to hold. I'm not really holding last year against against Charleston. There was a World Cup. He was hurt a lot. That team sucked. I don't think he really had a whole lot to do with it. It is what it is. No one expects him to be Harry Kane. But, man, he's just, he's pressing so hard. And he's making, and that feels to me, like it's making whatever other deficiencies there are in his game so much worse. And I don't know what to do about it. Like, I mean, I can't imagine when he was at Everton where he played reasonably well that he was never like receiving a ball with like two center backs on his ass because it's not like they had a free flowing attack, but it seems like every time he's playing, which again, he's occupying the other defense and that's part of what we want him to do. It's like he's got two guys on his back and he can't control the ball or he can't like dish it off to someone who's like able to do something with it. And then on top of it, whenever he does get a clear opportunity, it seems like he's got the yips. So it's really not going all that well right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I I didn't think he was good when we signed him. It was like, you know, a colossal waste of money. I made that very clear. I don't think he is capable of filling Kane's shoes by any means. I still thought he would be capable of chipping in with like a dozen goals and like being a reasonable presence up front. But so far, he does not seem to understand his job. He doesn't seem to know how to move into space. He doesn't like he he when he collects the ball, he seems to go into traffic like on purpose instead of finding finding gaps. Can't pass the ball. I I, I mean, I hope and is like happy with just him pinning back two center backs so Madison and Sar can get into position. Maybe that's enough for his system, but you know, he doesn't he not only doesn't look like he has what it takes, he seems to be a total head case about it. Against Burnmouth, he was rattled so hard in the second half. Like and, and we didn't talk about this at the time, but answered really well to yank him when he did and calm that game back down because the beginning Honestly, of the second that half might have was been the best use of subs I've seen a Spurs manager ever ever make. Like, yeah, like he really we were in trouble that game like when Bournemouth was getting back into it. Yeah, he had that, you know, m- moment where he came fell down and like thought he was fouled and got pissed and lashed out and like he lost his head completely. But here's the thing about I like I want to have a response to that because I, I I don't disagree with what you're saying about Richarlson, but he's good with Brazil. Like, and I know international football is international football, but like, he's fine with Brazil. Yeah, my point is like we don't need him to be better Harry wingers. Kane. We need him to be fine, and I think we've seen him be better than this. And it's just you know this is the problem you have, especially with a player who's not elite. You know, you've got. They're in their own head, and you can see it. Like God, you can see it with the way Ange talks after games. You can see it with the way the other players talk about him, where they're they're clearly trying to buck him up. And God bless them for it. But like, you know, like I, I don't know what you do about that because this guy needs like, like I don't think he needs a goal. I think he needs like a real good performance that like you can all feel good about. But like whatever else is going on with him tactically or. You know, as a player, like, I think the mental issue is the biggest problem right now. And I don't know how, like, you know, it's one or the other, and I don't know how you get past both. Like, that guy needs a game where he whips someone's ass or at least has a crucial goal, I feel like. And then we can deal with the other stuff. But like you said, Ben, like, the way it's going right now, like, I hope Ange is happy that he's just making life difficult for the defense because at least he is doing something. But you want more out of your striker than keeping the center backs busy. Remember when we signed Soldado and we spent like three months being like, look, he just needs a couple to go in off his ass. You're right. You're right. And, and then it just never right. worked. Uh, you know, it, look, I I was pretty high on Richarlison coming into this season. Like I thought that like this could be like his best season in the Premier League. And like, you know, I felt like the what Ange wanted out of this forward role was exactly the type of things that he was capable of. Um and I guess I, I, I haven't, like, abandoned that hope, but I, it, it's, I, it's now very clearly, like, hope. Like, it wasn't, it, before I was, like, I was kind of basing it on, like, things that I'd seen. Now I'm just like, well, it's, it's gonna, maybe it'll get better, maybe. You know what's, uh, you know what makes it rough is, from the Man United game, it feels like everybody else in the starting 11, ever since Sarr replaced Skip, is getting it, except for Richarlson. And that, that makes it tough. 
Uh, and you just hope he needs a little bit extra time, but like it sure feels like we're talking ourselves into it, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think we have seen Sun now in a couple of games move over to that role and look interesting. He's still doing his like coming deep and combining and like being involved version of Sun, which I know is not necessarily what Ange wants from a striker to do. He wants him to be stretching the defense. He wants to be pitting those those center backs, but I, I and you know it depends on who we sign and what that looks like. But I, I think it's not impossible that Sun ends up our striker this season. I think you're right. Um, I think Spurs are going to have to go out and buy a striker. And I think, frankly, this is the argument, again, I think we should have sold Kane if he wasn't willing to sign an extension. But if you were someone who was like, don't fucking sell Kane, like, I think the argument for it was always like, boy, it's like, you guys have forgotten what it was like in 2011 when we were just trying anything to find a striker who could be halfway decent on this team. It's hard, man. It's real hard. And, you know, Charleston has more. I mean, whatever you thought about him, Ben, like, I think you can agree he had more of a pedigree than a lot of guys were going to be able to get. So, you know, it's it's tough, man. It's real tough. And he's I got like he, a Brennan Johnson goal scoring record. Yeah. I mean, like, I think Charleston has a respectable record in England. It's not like great, but like. He does enough other stuff. Frankly, the fact of the matter is, too, like, Richarlison's a guy you like. Like, he does the scut work. All the, you know, we, we've been on on this podcast, on Twitter. We've all complained about these guys who have, like, retrograde bullshit social views or politics. And, like, Richarlison seems like in the world Just the of— the best guy. <laughs> he seems like a really good dude. Like, he, 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 he hates fascists. He does really good things for his community. He gives a lot, like— I want him to be good. I'll tell you what, I'm going to put my marker out here. I think this is what's going to happen with Charleston's legacy at Spurs. I think he's going to be largely a bad player, not worth his transfer fee, but he is going to score some goal in some match that we are just going to talk about for years. And it's like, it's not going to matter that he's fucking garbage for the rest of the time. It's like, it's going to be like a version of Ricky Villa where it's like, honestly, not that impressive, but he had that one goal and like, who gives a fuck? Like, It'll be like the like photo negative of Lucas Mora. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I don't know. I want, I think it's worth saying this. I want Richarlison to succeed. Cause I, I, even as someone who got a little tired of like every time Lucas Mora came up, we had to talk about his politics. Like the fact that Richarlison seems like a good guy, just, like I, I want it to work on some level. I know it's not going to work on the level that like his transfer fee would demand, but like I just want it to work enough because he seems like a really good guy. He is like he could do enough that you could sort of squint your eyes and see how it would work. But I don't know. It would just be nice for it to work because he he clearly like I like I think it, I find it endearing, frankly, that like part of the reason he's been so wound up this year is he wants to be good. He's not mad at the manager. He's not mad at the tactics. He he wants to succeed and he's angry at himself. And frankly, it's endearing as a fan, you know, compared to some of the other divas and losers we've had on this team over the years. Yeah, you thinking of anyone, you know, uh, a French person who likes Big Macs specifically or Big Macs <laughs> a Royale with cheese. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about our transfer business. Um, uh, let's start with outgoings. Cause I think that'll age perfectly fine. Um, I'm really tired of our outgoing conversation, but man, it is like all the stuff that's coming out. It sure seems 
Like, I, I have some sympathy for Daniel Levy and the Spurs front office, because as much as we should just fucking get rid of some of these guys, it sounds like Musa Dem... It sounds like Musa Dembele. It sounds like um, Tangi Ndombele and Hugo Lloris and Eric Dyer and fucking everybody... And Davidson Sanchez have turned down, like, six moves apiece. And they're trying to get these guys out of here. And, like, like to hear that Ndombele wants to... like. I don't want to go to Genoa because I need to go to a team in the Champions League. Like, motherfucker, like, you barely played for Napoli last year. Like, they they won the league. They didn't want you if we paid your whole fucking salary. Like, you need to go somewhere and play, and no one wants you here. You don't want to be here. Like, God, I'm so tired of it. And I mean, he couldn't show up at meetings in a year where he knew his reputation was on the line, and he couldn't show up on time to meetings. And, I mean, you know, think, look, Genoa, there's all that salami there. Like, just, yeah. I, this would be a great move for Tonki. He wants to be in the Champions League. Let's get Real Sociedad on the line. Like, San Sebastian has fucking excellent food there. Let, like, let's send him Let's send him to the north of Spain. Like, yeah, come he on. can eat foie gras until he gets gout. I mean, <laughs> let's Exactly, exactly. I mean, but in fairness to Tonki, like, if we were in San Sebastian, that's probably what we would do. Yes, yes. Yeah. So let's let him do it. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it is frustrating with uh, with those guys like that. That they, you know, look, uh, I'm all about workers rights and like you have the absolute like you. You don't have to go somewhere you don't want to be. You have a contract. You can sit there and earn your money and, you know, whatever. But like also like, all right, if they're not going to accept transfers, let's just f- fucking cut them. Like, I don't think anyone's like t- talking about cutting his salary. Like my guess is there's some sort of we'll pay X amount, you pay Y amount. <laughs> yeah. He needs to fucking leave. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's it's frustrating. You know, Hugo, we have heard turned down several backup roles because like he wants to be a starter somewhere, and like nobody wants you. Nobody wants you to be a starter. Like. Unless you're an MLS or the Saudi League, like right, and like I, I, it's frustrating that they have you know such high opinions of themselves because we don't see that manifesting on the pitch, and the fact that they would rather sit here and do nothing for a year and collect a paycheck is like kind of why they're these fucking losers we're trying to get rid of in the first place. It's frustrating, um, you know. That said, we have done a terrible job over the years you know i mean you know how much i complained about giving hugo that extension two years ago at the time and and, it worked for a year and then it didn't (laughs) but you're right you know i mean we have put these guys on long dumb contracts over and over again rather than sell them when they had value to refresh the squad and now we're kind of reaping what that looks like and that's just that's that's bad on our part. And, and, like, and I think I there is a difference. Much. And I think there's a difference between like looking at a guy like Hugo or Dyer, where it's like, you know what? You have served the club long and well. It's not working out for you. We're just going to cut you and let you go. There's a difference between that and doing it with a guy like Ndombele or, you know, Tanganga or who, I mean, I don't think we're going to cut Tanganga, but you know what I mean? Like doing it with these other guys where like, then it becomes like selling clubs are like, Oh, well, why would we pay Spurs a transfer fee? You just wait long enough and they'll cut a guy. Um, you know, see, so I don't know. It's, it's frustrating. And it's, yeah, I, I mean, 
Tengeng is actually a good some one. level of lame, but it's just at this point, like I feel like I, I'm really tired of fringe Spurs players having the, a ridiculous level of self belief. Yeah, I mean Tengeng is the one that I think is a great example. Like, my man, how long has it been since you played regular football? Don't you just want to play like regularly? Yeah, you like, think you're going to Inter Milan? You think that's where you're landing? Yeah, <laughs> like. Just accept your move to, you know, someone in the championship and and then go ball out for a year and then, you know, do whatever. Like, I, I just, you know, yeah, set your reset your market, buddy. Like, come on. Well, yeah. And I think that's the thing. And like, you know, that that's what been another frustrating thing about like our loan business in the past few years. Like nobody's really gone out on loan and then just looked fucking amazing. Like you said, Tongi didn't really play that much at Napoli. Um, you know, I think Lo Celso is probably the only one that like acquitted themselves pretty well last season. Yeah, and then he like destroyed his leg, so his like immediate resale value disappeared. But he had a market, and then we decided yeah. we liked, him, which is great. But like, I don't know. I don't well, know also, we, also asked the bill decided they didn't want to buy him. That's that's also part of the problem there. So you, you know, you look at Regulon, who has just had just a disastrous time at Spurs. We are very close to offloading him, and you know, we got cute trying to demand a transfer obligation, and then they said, you know what, fuck it, we'll sign Tierney, uh, and fuck Regulon, and now we're stuck with him in the one landing spot we had found has evaporated and it's it's frustrating because we're we've got like eight guys who we need to clear from the roster by tomorrow by friday and that's just not going to happen so we're going to be sitting on guys who are just unregistered i mean you hope there's some here's the thing like a lot of these guys suck or have not had good seasons and Part of the byproduct that, on top of the fact Spurs have sucked, so it's not like buying a Spurs player is an attractive prospect. Like, some of these guys just aren't going to move till the end of the window, I think. But, like, yeah, it doesn't help. Like, yeah, there's a difference between a guy like Regulon, who's, like, probably going to go wherever, and a guy like Tanganga, who apparently is, like, you know, has opinions. And it's just frustrating. You know, it's frustrating enough that you can't find a place for Regulon to go. It's... It becomes even more frustrating when you've got guys like Tanganga or Ndombele or whatever who, like, oh, you found a loan or a move for them, but, like, you know, they're p- turning their nose up at it. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, do you want to play or not? Um, I don't know. I hope we get our outgoings going. I, I think it's not as easy as people make it sound, but. I mean, this goes back to the sort of failure to land a director of football at any you know, point I during don't, the summer. I don't know. I think I we're mean, functioning. I think we're functioning with that. I think what it goes back to is. clearly not functioning. Like, this no, is, I mean, this I think exactly we are. exactly how we're not no, functioning. No, you look at our business and it's functioning. This if is our like, business, Greg, and we're our, not doing it. Like, that's our, what direct I don't football think, can do is, like, no, we're, like, manifestly not doing it. We have spent zero dollars of Harry Kane money. We have 11 extra guys on our roster that we can carry that we haven't moved on. Like, we haven't done it. We've made a couple of good signings that I'm excited about, but like we do not have a, a, a football operation that is managing the ins and outs because it's not happening. I think what you're seeing is the accumulation of years of uncertainty with the manager managerial position. That's and I think, why you get a director of football. Yeah, I mean, like, clear is the that, decks. I, again, I don't, I don't think, I, I think, is it the director of football? I, I think that's just like something yes. we don't, no, from the outside of the club. Like, yeah, okay, if we had, like, a 
really good director of football, maybe it works. But also, like, I don't know. Like, I am skeptical that there's something missing in terms of, like, the sale of Sergio Regulon at this point. Like, that guy's, like, was fucking hurt all year last year. He sucked before that, like, for the year before that. And it's just, you know, no one fucking wants these guys unless, like, we're eating half their salary or whatever. And I don't know. Like, is that the issue, that we're just not willing to eat enough of their salary? Are we getting too cute with, like, we we just finally want to move some of these guys out and we're insisting on, you know, loan-to-buy options? Like it, it, I, the problem with all that, especially with these sort of like fringier players, is that it's it's it becomes more opaque. Yeah, I mean we have we have let these guys devalue so heavily yes. over the years, absolutely. But like again, putting in place a a department of your football company whose job is to manage the outgoing players and the hiring of new players is like a normal thing that clubs have a thing that we talked about at the beginning of the summer as like the most important piece of business we should be doing to rebuild this club. And we have not done it. You know, we got Scott Munn who is somehow still not started working technically for, for Tottenham Hotspur. You know, we have, as far as I can tell, nothing in place. It, it seems to, to me as if Gabonini or whatever the name of that head scout is, is essentially running our transfer business, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like, that's the well, thing. Like, we can so see okay. that signings is only a piece of what that transfer business yeah. is. Like, we also need to dump a fucking dozen guys off this roster. And we're and not I doing it. The way the market is, we're just going to end up eating some contracts until it's all over. There but. are two days left, Greg. Yeah, well, I think, I think there's going to be a lot of guys who train on the pitch. And uh, I think, here's my prediction with the outgoings. I think Hugo gets released. I think... Dyer gets maybe released. I think we sell one or two other guys. And I think there's just a bunch of fucking dudes who are training and not playing for Spurs this year. Like, I think, because I think you're right. And again, I don't know. It's like sort of chicken and the egg. Like, I think we've devalued them so much over the last couple of years that it's hard to say, like, okay, well, are we not doing something right now? Or is it just we fucked it up so much, you know, before now that it's like, you know, it's too far gone. I mean, I think... Those things go so hand in hand. The fact that we fucked it for so yes. long made the importance of hiring a person to manage the transition away from the fucked years to something better so crucial. And we didn't do it. And now here we are. Um, you know, it doesn't even get us to the part where we still need signings to refresh the squad because, as we learned on Tuesday, our backups are terrible. So. Like, this is the piece where I'm not optimistic. Like, I think Andrew's great, and I think our first 11 is very exciting. First 10 and a half, very exciting. I I think Spurs have been functioning with more of a director of football than we realize, but, you know. Look, look, I think we can all agree that what would really solve this problem is Brennan Johnson. <laughs> you know, I... I'm going to get Ben started here. I don't think Brennan Johnson is a great way to spend 40, 50 million euros or pounds, I guess. I don't understand the like <laughs> the way Spurs fans just seem to be willing to like walk into not all. So here I, I guess here's where I'm confused. 
Spurs fans online seem to be willing to walk into a square in London and set themselves on fire if we if we if we get Brendan Johnson in here. And Heroes. I am not particularly Heroes, everyone. Well, I am not particularly impressed with Brendan Johnson. What confuses me, I understand why you, Ben, are willing to do this. And some of our friends like Michael, you know, the podcast trader, but I am more confused by certain Spurs fans because generally I see an English person and I assume that if they look at a man who can run fast, they're happy to sign him to their football club. So that is what really confuses me about the hostility surrounding the Brennan Johnson signing. He's just not good. Yeah, no, I get that, but he can run fast. So I generally assume English people will be happy with that. Yeah, I mean, maybe. But he's also not good. That seems to be the main thing. Well, I mean, if we can coach up Pedro Porro, maybe we can coach up Brendan Johnson. I mean, that's the thing. That's what you're spending 50 million pounds on is speed you can coach. Yeah, maybe maybe that's true. You know, I think the comp everybody's looking at right now is Anthony Gordon, who at Everton we were linked with and everyone was like, this guy kind of sucks. Like he runs fast and works hard, but like he kind of sucks. And then all of a sudden this summer, he was player of the tournament as England won the U21 Euros. And, you know, he scored a great goal against Liverpool and like beat the crap out of Trent Alexander-Arnold. And people were like, oh, okay. So like, yeah, maybe a better team, a better system. Like maybe this guy's doesn't suck. Brennan Johnson could be that guy who maybe doesn't suck in the future at some point. And like, you're just telling yourself so much a story that I have so many prologues and, and preamble chapters to get to that part where that happens that like, this is cope. Like he is well, just not a good player. Well, I think there's, there's, you guys have said this when we talked about this privately, but like, you know, I think there's a difference between spending like 20 million on him and taking a pot shot and spending $50 million on him. Now, I don't think Spurs are going to pay – I, I, again, Wednesday night, who the hell knows. I don't think we're going to pay full freight for him. But, like, it sure seems like we're going to pay more than we should for him. Um, I don't know. We certainly need a winger. I think it'll be an improvement on Solomon, but that's not saying a whole lot. Um, I don't know. It's not great. Like, <laughs> but, if we had spent twenty million on him after his championship season, it would have been a bit Jed Spency, but he was he was better. He was pretty good in the championship. And twenty million on a championship prospect, twenty years old, I can talk myself into that. But now we're paying more than twice that for a guy whose one year in the Premier League was terrible. And you're still just betting on that championship season being the real version of him, and now you're paying twice as much to get it like it's just even if he's good even if we got this right and spent 50 million and he he hits he's amazing it's still a bad transfer because the road that got us to spend 50 million dollars or 50 million pounds on a guy who is this much of a project is just a I mean, if it way. works out, I don't care about process. But I do because that's I the don't. fucking problem. And then, like, we're, if we get it right this time, it doesn't mean we're going to get it right every time. Well, by, don't worry by about it next time. No, I am, I'm worried about it every time, Greg. Like, our process is historically terrible in a lot of ways. 
And like we've shown signs this summer of being smart. We pivoted off of Raya to Vicario, and that looks like a very sharp move. We moved from Tapsoba to Vandeven, and looks like a very astute defensive signing. Oh, so signing. you're saying Spurs buying a guy who just is really fast is a good idea. Yeah, maybe it is. Like, <laughs> you know, Madison, obviously, baller, player of the year, Ballon d'Or winner, whatever, great. You know, like, all of those things look good to me. I I, 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 just not, hope, I don't feel good about the process that leads us to Brennan Johnson, even if it works I, out. I just hope that if Forrest are really playing these games with us on transfer fee, we just pivot. We do what we do with Vicario, which is like, okay, well, like, I don't know. That, that PSV winger or whatever we're being linked with, like, yeah, fuck it. We'll just go spend the money on him. Like, Well, I guess I, that's the other transfer news, right? The uh, Ansu Fati move that didn't... didn't yeah, that's, that's kind of weird. Again, I, I don't think... It's not official yet, and I don't think we know exactly what's going on, but I have a guess. Um, Spurs were, at for 20 minutes today, apparently, Ansu Fati was 99% certain to go to Spurs, according to some some of the Barcelona state media, um, and then it fell apart. Now it looks like he's going to Brighton. Uh, I'm guessing the reason this fell apart is Spurs didn't want a straight loan and Brighton was willing to eat a straight loan. I, I am, I've, I've been nervous all window. I mean, I get there's a lot to dream on with Ansu Fati, but, like, man, that guy can't stay healthy in Spain. I mean, his knees don't exist, and he's 20. I mean... Maybe he's going to be great. Maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe Deserby is going to get something really special out of him. But like, yeah, it's it's tough with a team like Barca because like, as a club, they're a rat's nest. Javi wants to play like hospital ball. Like he's maybe just had some bad luck with injuries. But there's a lot like, I like, he makes a lot of money, and there's a lot to be concerned with. I feel like about Ansu Fati and. Like, especially if you don't have an option to buy, that feels dangerous to me. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if we missed out on too much there. I mean, I'm sure he'll go to Brighton and kill it, and we'll be all kicking ourselves. But, like, I'm just saying, a guy who can't stay on the pitch at age 20 in La Liga, that that, that should be setting up huge red flags for a team in the Premier League. I, I think I'm confused by Brighton's willingness to do a loan for him. They're and, bright. What's confusing about that? Well, but I mean, I mean, like, what's their cap? Like, what what Barcelona needs is to dump salary so they can register players. How much of his two hundred thousand pound or euro a week salary is Brighton really really willing to take on? Now, look, I appreciate they've got European football and they, you know, they've done so. They just had, you know, 115 million come in from Caicedo. So like maybe they're, they have money and they can use it to, to pay crazy wages. But like that doesn't seem like the Brighton thing to do. Like it, the, the, the thing that seems like more like their thing is to find a guy like Fati before he signs that 200, 250,000 pound a week contract. I mean, I think the thing about Brighton's recruitment is, is it's not as clear cut as that. Like, yes, they have signed like three guys from Paraguay or wherever, Ecuador. Um, but they also have Danny Welbeck, Adam Milana, James Milner, like on their team playing like James Milner is their starting right back right now. Like that's kind of insane, but like, 
I don't think it is beyond the scope of the kind of transfer program Brighton has put together to identify value in other kinds of targets. And I think they have two competitions. I think Fatih is good. I mean, really good when he's fit and on the pitch, like he's going to make them better. Um, The weird part is that he's, you know, nominally like a left wide forward. And so is Matoma, who is, you know, the best player on that team. Um, Where does he fit? But I think to manage multiple competitions, he's an opportunistic buy. They saw he was available and said, yeah, we could make use of that guy. We are also playing Danny Welbeck every week. We can probably swap out Welbs for for Fatih and and make ourselves better. Well, it's also, you know, I mean, for whatever, whether it's good or bad, Spurs consider themselves a big club, and they're probably a little less willing to swallow a straight loan than a club like Brighton. Whatever, whatever else is going on with where our positions are and what competitions we're in, my guess is Brighton's just a little more willing to swallow that than we are. Yeah, I mean, the value to us is, like, he could be a guy for this rebuild. For Brighton, it's like, oh, this is an interesting stopgap that can get us through a season with a lot of fixture congestion that we maybe don't have the squad capable of handling and add, like, some plus value to. Like, yeah, that is a guy you can take on loan, and if you can't buy him at the end of the season, well, whatever. They have great recruitment. It'll be fine. For us, yeah. Like, as as the theme of this podcast is, it's not about this season. It's about rebuilding this team. It is, especially you're talking about a 20 year old. So it's, you know, and like there's a lot to dream on with Ansu Fati, but also, like, man, that guy gets hurt a lot. And he's got a dadager. I mean, it's, there's a lot of baggage you're taking on with him. But it's the hard thing with like Barcelona is such a shithole right now. It's like, it's, it's, is it him or them? And it's hard to say. And that's, you know, that's tricky. Yeah. I mean, I guess. My thing for the the transfer window is that I'm just kind of disappointed that the the striker links have evaporated. Like, we, we I, were, I, I didn't expect that. I, didn't, I, I don't know. I, I mean, we were all kind of at least a little bit excited about Gift Orban, and like you know, even yeah. if we loaned even if we loaned him back, we were like, oh, this guy looks like he could be fun, and the price wasn't super crazy, and now that seems to just be not a thing and our only attacking target is Brennan Johnson. Yeah, I would love it like a, another Destiny Doggy guy that we don't see for a year, but like we're just lining shit up. Like let's take some swings like that. Well we need to bring the Don Don Fabio back to do for that to happen. I think he's here. <laughs> <laughs> the call is coming from inside the house. So let's let's take a few questions before we end this. This has been a very long podcast, so I appreciate anyone who's stuck it out this long. In fact, leave us a leave us a comment on Twitter if you stuck it out this long. I'll be very impressed. Uh, Al Berwick wants to know uh, what do you think Big Ange smells like? Musk, just musk, sandalwood. Um. <laughs> is Brennan Johnson or uh, Rob Dirks wants to know, Ben, I'll start you off with this. Cause this is built for you. Uh, is Brennan Johnson just a homegrown Gedson? Jedson. 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 Sorry. It's been a while. You'll forgive me. Uh, you know, 
I think that's unfair to Jensen. Oh, fuck. No, no, no. no. I, no I, I think Brennan Johnson is, like, he has, like, to make the optimistic case for Brennan Johnson, like, he is fucking fast. And, like, that is a useful skill in the Premier League. He is a good straight-line runner. He, he picks his head up. Like, he can find that final third pass. He has a decent eye for goal. Like, there is something there. He's not, like, a completely useless player. But seeing him for Forrest, he is so useless in every phase of the game except running in behind that I have no idea that he can do anything that would translate to what Ange Ball looks like. And the fact that Ange seems to is puzzling to me. But, you know, this man isn't infallible. He thought Oliver Skip was good, and obviously that was wrong. So I mean, even if he thought Oliver Skip was good, like, he fixed that in a game, so, you know. Right. So we're going to spend $50 million on Brendan Johnson. Yeah, you know. Oh, no. Um... So this is, I, I didn't have a good answer for this, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Maybe we can come up with it on the fly. Uh, this is from 1991 Semi. Uh, he wants to know, as a British person, is there an Ange equivalent in U.S. sports, past or present? I, I'm struggling to come up with one. Uh, there was that guy who... Popovich. You think? It's like, vibes-wise, yeah, he's, he's, he's got a pop vibes. No, I mean, I... I I, I honestly don't know his, like, history, but as, like, just a guy, that's that's the vibe I get. That's the coach of the, a Spurs coach in the NBA for our British listeners. Um, uh, I don't know. I, like, Tressman um, coached the Bears. He came out of the CFL with the Canadian Football League, but he wasn't actually good. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm struggling to think of a guy who, like, came out of nowhere and was like. Who's that high school football coach? Oh, the uh, then he ended up coaching at Auburn. Oh, uh, the guy, wait, the guy from Boise? Malzahn. Oh, oh. Eh. Coached in Arkansas, like Spring Hill High School in Arkansas, and then wound up with the Auburn job because, you know, money. I guess that kind of worked out, but... Um, yeah, no, I think Pop... Because I just don't think that... In basketball and baseball and football, there's that many guys that come from. Uh, Everyone in baseball is just some guy who's like fucking, you know, been a grinder in the minor leagues for however long. Right. And, you know, the the football guys are guys that played football in, you know, the U.S. There's not like some a lot of, you know, foreign coaches coming out of nowhere. Um, so yeah, there's not that. I mean, you have, like, you could look at a guy like John Harbaugh at the Ravens, who was, like, a special teams coach, who, like, oh, well, that's a little weird that he went and became the head coach of the Ravens. But it's not, like, Ange going from, like, Japan to Scotland to Spurs. You know, it's not it's not that. I, I'm having a hard time thinking of a guy who was, like, that obscure of a run. I'm sure. I, I'm guessing a college football is where it would exist if it yeah, for existed. Sure. But I'm struggling to think of one. But I think I think Ben's right about like just on vibes and like media savviness yes. and that sort of stuff. Like Popovich is like a great example. Um, Haley Bachrock, she wants to know, uh, do she needs a close reading of the emerging player friendship groups? Um, has anything really struck you about that, guys? Um, I mean, I think it's interesting how how much SAR is included in some of these friendship groups. Like he seems to be 
you know, like Sonny in that he is being added to he's hanging out with the Brazilians. He's hanging out with Madison. Like, I, th- I think that's interesting. Yeah, I don't think I've really paid attention to like where the cliques are forming and who are these little social units. Um, I, I feel like that was like a re- really big part of the poach years was like we had so much social media presence and so many charming little videos about everybody. And we kind of got that inside s- scoop on who was hanging out with who and how everyone was like relating in the dressing room. I feel like, at least for me, I've missed that. And I kind of want to have a one-on-one with Haley and break down what she's seen and get her insight because I want to know. I think it's been really interesting that, like, I think the way that that Ange has structured the team has been – structured the leadership organization and the team has been interesting because, like, you've got Son, who's a very popular guy, but Madison seems to be working overtime to be friends with everyone. And on top of that, you've got Romero in there to, like, you know, and I've seen a few Spurs reporters note, like, oh, well, giving the Spanish-speaking contingent a voice in the club. You know, it's 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 interesting in that, like, I think you've got two guys as captains or vice captains in Madison and Son who are trying very hard to bridge all groups. And then I think what is also interesting on top of that is, with the exception of Son, like, Ange has really tossed out anyone else who's been, like, considered a leader on this club. And you might even argue that, you know, Son wasn't even considered a leader before this. But, you know, a lot of the old guard, the leadership council, which, you know, Ben, I know you joked about it last year, but, like, they've all been shown the door in one way. Either they've been shown the door or they've left in the case of Harry Kane. So I, I think in terms of friendship groups, I think – there's been a real big reset this year, even though I'm sure, you know, you know, like I'm sure some of the Spanish speaking group is still there and what have you, but I think there's been a big reset this year, which is interesting in and of itself. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad he's kind of cut the head off of that leadership council. Like that. I didn't like the sound of that at all, especially when I learned that it was made up of like, Oliver Skip and Eric Dyer and Hoybjerg and guys are just bums. The uh, the pointing and shouting contingent. Yeah. Um, our final question. This comes from God. We've had a really long podcast, guys. Um, which aggregate? This comes from Ethan Woy. He wants to know which aggregator account is the worst at sharing their opinions. And to me, the answer is fucking all of them. I don't follow any aggregator account. I don't want to know anything they have to think. Like I just want to see transfer news that I am too lazy to look up individually. I want to aggregate it for me. I don't want to find it myself. That is what you're there for. I don't care what you think about Ange's lineup or our ticket prices or whatever. I follow other people to like get those opinions. If you're like daily hotspur related, like FTO or whatever the fuck, like I, I literally don't care what you think about anything. Like I just want you to like, find what Dan Kilpatrick said about our lineup that day, <laughs> like, or what, you know, Rom- Fabrizio Romano said about our latest transfer news. I don't want to know anything else about the club from this account other than that. And I definitely don't want to hear your Levy out opinions. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I will go follow other accounts for that. If I want to find that information. Like if you want to go, I'm excited by us signing that guy, this guy, like, okay, whatever. Incorrect. 
Incorrect. Incorrect. I want to see you putting an exclamation mark on a retweet about us at our new signing, but that is like the extent of an opinion I want out of you, aggregator account. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, I don't know which one's the worst. I, I don't even know what the name I, I don't of them are. Yeah, I don't think is it like worst. World of Hotspur? That one's pretty bad, right? Is that guy an aggregator account, but he is the worst. Like, yeah, I don't know if he's an aggregator account. I don't know if he counts. Or they, she, whatever. Uh, I don't know if they count, but uh, yeah, they suck. Yeah, I, the, these people are not people to me. Like you are, you exist to just sort of collate news from around the internet and put it in front of me. That's that's it. This is like like having like a smart refrigerator that talks to you. Like I don't want your opinion. You're a refrigerator. Cool my food down and shut the fuck up. Like that is what these aggregators. Like I don't. Yeah, if you want to give opinions, start a podcast like a normal person. Right, whatever yeah. AI breathed life into... The problem is they're doing that, Brian. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that is that is the problem, honestly. I mean, AI... Digging into terrible. our market share. AI is terrible and being used for awful things, but, like, this is one thing that you could use AI for. <laughs> like, like aggregate my... my like, uh, no, like, if, an AI, if an AI modeled itself off of aggregators, it would only have bad opinions. That's all you would get from it, you know? AI is useless because the fucking inputs are useless. It would be like what purple and gold until the world is a smoking crater because that's it's purple and gold until they're sold is how Skynet got started. Is that is that what we're trying to say, Ben? Yeah, basically. Uh, it's not a coincidence <laughs> that yesterday is the anniversary of Skynet launching in 1997, according <laughs> to Terminator 2. So, so the I end think- of humanity can be tied to Spurs not selling Hugo Lloris. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we have been going on for quite a long time. If you have made it this far, also tweet at, at us and give us credit for it. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Spurs. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on X. At <laughs> <laughs> I did a fun hand motion, everybody. Uh, at Brian underscore Ashlock, that is Brian with a Y. And you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079, where I might be talking about the bottle of wine I polished off while we did this entire podcast. Don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.